Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, this opportunity that we have to sing praises to your name, to tell you how much we love you, to rejoice in your presence. Now as we turn our attention to your word, um, I just ask that you would fill this place with your spirit. God, you know how much I need you. And I pray that you would be my strength, that you would be my guide, that you would speak through me, that you would touch our hearts, each one of us, Father, with the truth of your word. I pray that we would not walk out of this place unchanged. Thank you for giving us the privilege. Thank you, first of all, for calling us into your kingdom by your grace that we sang about this morning. We want to give you thanks, give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. One day, the parents of twin boys decided to take their children, one of these children, child, child, childs, childs? One of these kids was an incurable optimist, the other a persistent pessimist, to see a psychologist as they were worried about their extremes of behavior and attitude. The parents told the psychologist that they were very concerned on the one hand about their pessimistic son as nothing that came his way ever seemed to bring him any joy or contentment. But they were equally as concerned on the other hand about their optimistic son because nothing that came his way seemed to ever get him down. And so the psychologist began his study of these boys by exposing, exposing each of them to an extreme set of circumstances, the pessimistic boy to an extremely positive set of circumstances, and the optimistic boy to an extremely negative set of circumstances. And he did this because he wanted to see just how bad the situation was. So he first of all placed the pessimistic boy into a room filled with all the toys a young boy could possibly want, And after only a few minutes, he noticed the young boy complaining because he had no one to play with. Well, he then placed the optimistic boy into a room that had in it only a huge pile of horse manure. And within seconds, he observed the boy beginning to dig frantically through it. Astounded by this behavior, the psychologist ran into the room and asked what on the earth the boy was doing. And with his huge smile on his face, the boy replied, with all this horse manure here, there just has to be a pony down there. <laughs> we all know both kinds of people, don't we? We all have pessimists in our lives, those who find something wrong, with even the best of conditions, and we all have optimists in our lives, those who find something right about even the worst of conditions. And, of course, we have a few of those people that are constantly looking for the pony at the bottom of the manure heap. Well, on this Sunday morning preceding Thanksgiving Day, I'm going to propose that the dividing line that separates, or at least should separate, pessimists from optimists ingrates from perpetual givers of thanks is nothing more and nothing less than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Or I could put my premise this way. Those who have not put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and thus for their salvation have every reason for pessimism and really no good reason for optimism. 
And conversely, and here's where I'm going to land this morning, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for their, the forgiveness of their sins and thus for their salvation have every reason for optimism and joy. And here's the buzzword for the day, thankfulness. And really no good reason for pessimism and ingratitude. So with that as an introduction, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Lamentations chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure that we put one in your hands. It's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Old Testament. Before we read that passage together, let me just give you a little bit of background to kind of serve as some context. This book, the book of Lamentations, is a mournful postscript, so to speak, to the book of Jeremiah. Through the use of five dirges or funeral laments spread over the course of five chapters, the author, who is believed to be Jeremiah, grieved intensely over the fate of Judah because of her sin. So, Honestly, when you think about it, it's kind of a depressing book, which is really ironic, being that I'm preaching a sermon about optimism today. But when we get to chapter 3, which is the center and the heart of the book, we find what ends up to be a positive framework around which all of the more negative chapters revolve. So chapter 3 really is kind of the pony at the bottom of the manure heap. So let's take a look at that passage together. Lamentations chapter 3. I'm going to read through the first 24 verses. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and made me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. In a long list of metaphors, Jeremiah here recounted the many afflictions that he, 
as Judah's representative, suffered at the hand of God's wrath that was directed toward Judah's sin. These afflictions resulted in absolute misery for Jeremiah. They had completely taken their toll on his physical as well as his mental and emotional health. Look again at verses 4 through 6. I think these verses kind of capture this. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. As a result of these afflictions, Jeremiah was actually broken both in body as well as in spirit, and he could really see no way out of it. He was imprisoned and chained. His freedom was gone, and his prayers went unanswered. Verses 7 through 9, he has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. And to top it all off, Jeremiah was mocked and laughed at. He was entirely deprived of peace and prosperity. Verses 14 and 7 through 17, once again, I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Jeremiah was really, really down, and for good reason. But one thought crowded out the hopelessness that threatened to overwhelm him. Verse 21, he says, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And the this, that is what he called the mind, is recorded for us in verses 22 through 24, which is the heart of the chapter. Not only that, those verses are the heart of the entire book of Lamentations. So let's take a look at them again. Verses 20 through 24, this is what Jeremiah wrote. In spite of all that, he didn't write this, I'm saying this, okay? In spite of all that I just said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So here we have the prophet Jeremiah immersed in a set of circumstances that very well could have left him a perpetual pessimist, and quite honestly, none of us would really blame him if it did. But he chose instead to be an optimist. He chose to see the silver lining surrounding the cloud of his adversity. In spite of all that he was going through, Jeremiah chose ultimately to camp not on his circumstances, but rather on the truth surrounding who God is and what his character is really like. And you know what? The same should be true of all of us. That is, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and have that renewed personal relationship with God through Christ. The problem, however, is that many of us do camp on our circumstances. And as a result, we become pessimistic. There are some Christians, in fact, who deal with circumstances far less demanding and or painful than those Jeremiah dealt with, or quite honestly, who deal with virtually no adversity at all, and yet all they see is the negative in life. 
Their cup is always half empty as opposed to half full. These are the people who went at a picnic in the park on a beautiful summer day, 72 degrees, no humidity, light, gentle breeze. They complain about the ants. These are the people who, when they get a pay raise, they complain. Now, why in the world would you complain if you have a pay raise? Because you have to pay more taxes, right? These are the people that when one cloud appears in an otherwise brilliantly blue sky, call it partly cloudy. When two clouds appear, they call it mostly cloudy. And when the third cloud comes, they take cover because the storm is coming. These are those who are, as columnist George Will once said, and I quote, constantly either proven right or pleasantly surprised. Now, I need to clarify something before I go any further. We need to make sure that we're all on the same page here. I'm talking about pessimism here. Not temporary and or situational sadness or distress or grief or even depression for that matter. There are times in each of our lives when due to tragedy or difficulty that comes our way, we experience grief or sorrow or pain for a time. That's entirely natural. That's even God-ordained. It's a part of being a, a human being living in a fallen world. And sadly, there are some people who daily struggle with chronic depression due to chemical imbalances or to some traumatic event that's taken place in their lives, and they therefore have very little, if any, control over the sadness that they experience. That's not what I'm talking about here. Just to make sure that we all understand that, that, what I just described, is entirely different than pessimism. That then begs the question, what is pessimism? For you fill-in-the-blankers, get ready. Here we go. Pessimism is the choice. There's your first word. Choice that some people make to do two things. Pessimists, Pessimists will choose, first of all, to refuse any positive, to find any positive in the midst of the negative, or by God's grace to come out from underneath the negative. That's the first part. Secondly, they choose to insist on finding the negative in the midst of the positive. The key to pessimism, and this is really important to catch, is that it involves making the choice to refuse the positive, but to insist on the negative. It's a conscious decision that people make. Conversely, then, optimism and subsequently thankfulness is also a choice. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a choice that we as Christians have every reason to make. I'm going to give you ten of those reasons, and we're going to move through quickly, so buckle up. Number one, we should be optimistic as opposed to pessimistic, first of all, because we have been forgiven of our sins. We've been forgiven. Acts 10.43 tells us that everyone who believes in him, that is in Jesus, receives forgiveness of sin through his name. This is a big deal. That which has separated us from God and condemned us to eternal punishment, and I'm talking about our sin here, has by the blood of Christ been removed from us, as the psalmist tells us in Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west. Our sins have been forgiven. Great reason for optimism. Number two, we should be optimistic and thankful as opposed to pessimistic and ungrateful, and let's face it, Sour, because as those who've been forgiven of their sins, we have been redeemed from slavery to sin. 
At one time, and I'm referring to the time before Christ, B.C., before we gave our lives to Jesus, we were slaves to sin. Romans 6.19 says, We once presented our members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. In other words, we had no choice but to sin. We were slaves to it. But in Christ, we've been set free from that slavery and have now become slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. That's also Romans 6.19. We should be boldly optimistic, thirdly, because as those who have been forgiven of sin and redeemed from its shackles, we have been reconciled into a right relationship with God. And that's no small thing. That is the very thing we were created for. It is the very thing that is the source and the essence of our joy. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.18 that through Christ, God has reconciled us to himself. And having been reconciled with God, we have been adopted into his family as his kids as his children, and as his heirs. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Think about that for a minute. We're heirs of God, and it says we're also fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Forgiven, redeemed, reconciled them only at number three. Number four, we should be thankful as opposed to ungrateful because God has promised to meet our every need. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now I have a caveat here. This is not to say that God has promised to give us everything that we want. I am not invoking prosperity theology here. I am not a fan That's because the Bible doesn't teach prosperity theology. Rather, God has promised to provide for us all those things that we need so as to sustain us for as long as he has work for us to do here on this earth. We as believers should be optimistic, fifthly, because our God is sovereign. Isn't that awesome? Our God is sovereign. God holds all things in the palm of his hand, and absolutely nothing escapes his notice or his attention or more importantly, most importantly, his control. Paul tells us in Romans 8.28 that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Did you catch that key word in that verse? He didn't say some things, did he? All things, right? All things work together for good. That means the good as well as the bad circumstances of our lives God uses to bring about his good purposes. Number six, we as Christians should choose optimism and thanksgiving over pessimism and grousing because God develops our character through our troubles, through our trials and our tribulations. James told us that we're even to count it all joy, James 1, 2, when we meet trials of various kinds. Why in the world would we do that, James? Well, he goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Number seven, we as Christians should be incurably optimistic because God's grace is sufficient for us, regardless of what life brings our way. 
His grace is entirely sufficient. After saying no for the third time in answer to Paul's request that the thorn be removed from his flesh, Jesus spoke these encouraging words to him. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9a. Jesus said, after saying no for the third time, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. The New Living Translation here says, my grace is all you need. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And to that declaration, Paul responded with an incredibly optimistic statement in verses 9b and 10, perhaps the mother of all expressions of optimism. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness. Content? I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. And the reason that we're strong or weak is because that strength then is all him. It's none of us. Number eight. We as Christ followers should choose optimism over pessimism because God has promised us power to resist temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul assures us that a way of escape will be provided for, for us every single time that we're tempted to sin. He says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Number nine, we as the redeemed of God should be thankful and not ungrateful because God through Christ has given us victory over death. How awesome is that? We have victory over death. He said to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Then I love this taunt that Paul gives to death. He says, oh, death. Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Then he finishes by saying, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings me to the tenth reason that we should be optimistic instead of pessimistic, and that's because we've been given eternal life. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you know what's really great about this everlasting life? It's not in a vacuum. It's not just that it doesn't end. It's in the presence of God Almighty himself, who, Revelation 21.4 says, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Doesn't it strike you that active involvement that God has when he brings us into his presence? He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And it will be there in heaven where death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. Now, I could go on and on and on. The Scripture is absolutely full of reasons why the children of God have every reason to be optimistic and no good reason to be pessimistic and ungrateful, but I won't. I won't because I think you get the point. And because 
I'm known as the pastor who finishes on time, and I don't want to, you know... Sorry, Larry, I love you, man, but I just had to throw that one in. But more importantly, I won't continue because it's not so much the number of biblical reasons for optimism that will cure the pessimistic Christian as it is their understanding and acceptance of the fact that their bleak perspective on life is their choice. And based on the good news of God's word, a poor choice at that. So here's the bottom line. And you got to love when a preacher says, here's the bottom line, because you know we're almost done, right? So if any of you have been fading away, come back, because we're almost done. Here's the bottom line. Life throws curveballs at all of us. We all encounter trials and tribulations and problems and struggles from time to time. And furthermore, we all encounter the mundane as well. You know that boring routine of life? That is the plight of every single person on this planet. Here's the thing. Each one of us must decide how we will deal with the circumstances of our lives and what overall perspective and attitude will govern our lives, excuse me, either because of or in spite of those circumstances. The question is this. Will we view our trials as a glass that's half full and our blessings is a glass that is absolutely overflowing. In other words, will we see the circumstances of our lives, both the good and the bad, in view of the goodness of God and who we are in Christ? Or will we view our trials as a glass that's half empty? And our blessings also as a glass that's half empty, and that's because things could always be better, which, by the way, is the mantra of the pessimist. Regardless of how good things are, they could always be better. In other words, will we see the circumstances of our lives, both the good and the bad, unmindful of or independent of the truth of God's word? That, in a nutshell, is the essence of pessimism. It's the conscious choice to live one's life ignorant of or in opposition to the truth regarding who God is, what he is like, who we are as his children, and what the future holds for us as is revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Because you see, pessimism is a decision rooted in pride. And it's one that produces a negative, discontented, and critical spirit within people. And it's a choice that ultimately leaves those who make it isolated, and that's because no one wants to spend much time in the presence of a pessimist. Optimism, on the other hand, is the conscious choice to live one's life in spite of the circumstances, excuse me, totally embracing and finding perspective and strength in the truth found in God's regarding his goodness and his grace and his power and his sovereignty as well as in his love and in his plan for us. Optimism is a decision that's rooted in humility and in faith. And it's one that produces a positive, contented, and thankful spirit within people. And it's a choice that transforms those who make it into a veritable magnet, and that's because everyone wants to spend time in the presence of an optimist. When the walls had closed in on the prophet Jeremiah, and his circumstances had thus become ripe for pessimism, he instead chose optimism. 
He chose to see that silver lining surrounding the cloud of his adversity, and he did so because he focused in the end not on his circumstances, but on who God is and what God's character is like. So how about you? How about me? What's our choice going to be? Because that's what it is. Remember, it's a choice. Will we choose to view our lives and our circumstances in agreement with optimism or in opposition to, I'm trying to do quotes here, pessimism, the incredible truths found in God's word regarding who he is and who we are in his son. I want to encourage all of us this pre-Thanksgiving Sunday morning to choose optimism. To choose thankfulness in spite of our circumstances. But not because I said so. Because the steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. It never stops. It never even wavers. God's very great love is always in operation on our behalf. Always. And his mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Every day that we pick up our lazy bones up out of bed, there before us is a new and abundant supply of God's wonderful mercies. Every single day. Great is his faithfulness. There is none more faithful than our God. He is our portion. Therefore, we will hope in him. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer, and then we're going to sing a really great song. I'm just going to basically sing this this sermon back to God, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us so much. and Forgive us when we land on circumstances and we fail to see the truth in your word about those circumstances and about who you are and about who we are in in your Son. Make us incurable optimists. May we be a veritable magnet. Father, as we live out our lives and people look over and say, why in the world are you so up? I'm up because I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. Oh, Lord, we love you so much. We're so grateful for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.